Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Happy Easter, everyone. The Lord is risen from the grave. You may be seated, church. Thank you, worship team, for a wonderful time of celebrating Jesus together. It's beautiful. Hey, church, it's great to gather with you for yet another Easter Sunday to celebrate the great victory of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you today from a story in the Gospel of John, which occurred one week after Jesus rose from the dead. He rose on Sunday, appeared to Mary Magdalene, the other female disciples, two men who were traveling on a road to Emmaus, a neighboring town, and to 10 of the 12 disciples, the 11 remaining disciples after Judas's departure, he appeared to 10 of the disciples in a locked meeting room on that Sunday night. There was one disciple missing, his name was Thomas, and we're going to think about Thomas's story today and what it means for us almost 2,000 years later. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, this story is from John's Gospel, chapter 20. I think it'd be helpful to you if you did follow along, but I'll read it to you today. John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with the other 10 when Jesus came. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In this story, we come face to face with this disciple named Thomas who, in this episode, sees Jesus in his risen state for the very first time. What we see is a man who, for about a week, had heard the report from other disciples that Christ was risen, but could not believe it for himself. He had heard the report from the others, from Mary, from the other female followers of Jesus, from Peter and the 10, but he was unwilling to believe. Finally, in their persistence, Thomas exclaimed to them, unless I see the wounds 
unless I touch the wounds in his hands where the spikes were driven through, and unless I touch the wound in his side where the spear was pierced through, I, he said, will never believe. It was a firm obstinance and conviction that Thomas held during that week where he was not yet convinced that Christ had risen from the grave. Now, the Bible doesn't say very much about this disciple named Thomas. We know many things, for instance, about Peter. We know many things, for instance, about John, but we know very few things about this man named Thomas. He only speaks three times in the entire Bible. This is the last and third time that we see him speaking in Scripture. The first time that Thomas spoke in the Bible was when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus, his friend, back to life. Messengers had come from Lazarus's home in Bethany to where Jesus was, many miles away, and said, your friend Lazarus, who is sick, is at the point of death about to die. Please come quickly so that you can heal him of his illness. But Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die by the time they took the long journey to visit him in Bethany, and he announced to his disciples, he said, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you might believe. What it was was a hope-filled statement from Jesus. Uh, he was basically giving them a hint. I'm about to do something that is going to shock you and electrify your faith. That might be how everyone else took it that day, but Thomas did not take it that way. He responded to Jesus' hope-filled statement about raising Lazarus and said to the other disciples, all right, let's go with Jesus so that we might go and die with him. The Bible is painting the picture of Thomas as a slightly skeptical and pessimistic man. The second time that Thomas speaks is on the night that Jesus is arrested before he goes to the cross. Jesus, trying to comfort his disciples who are beginning to feel the weight of that moment, says to his disciples, hey, where I'm going you will come also. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Thomas, though, not knowing where Jesus was going, not knowing what Jesus was talking about, was one of those people who was willing to say it. You know who you are if you're that kind of person. Some of us, when we don't understand, we just keep it to ourselves. But Thomas blurted out loud and said, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And we don't know the way, so how could we go? He's portrayed there as a man who is willing to confess when he needs more information. He doesn't completely comprehend. And I think that these two stories give us perhaps a backdrop as to what's happened here in Thomas's life in this episode where he sees Jesus risen from the grave. You see, the week earlier, all the disciples gathered but Thomas wasn't there. I think Thomas was discouraged, distraught, broken up about Jesus' death and unwilling to have anything to do with anyone at that point who was connected to Jesus. 
And I think when they reported to him and said, we've seen him risen from the dead, Thomas is saying out loud and clearly, well, that might work for you, but I need more information. I need to see his wounds. I need to feel his wounds myself. Now, because of this encounter with Jesus, the church has for many years been in the habit of calling this man Doubting Thomas. It's a really cruel nickname. Sometimes the church does mean things, and this is one of them. We should not be calling him Doubting Thomas. If you meet Thomas in heaven, don't call him this. Be like, hey, oh, Doubting Thomas, there you are. Don't do that. The disciples didn't call him that. The disciples, the Bible says, in our passage, had a nickname for him. They called him the twin. Apparently had a twin brother or sister. We don't know anything about them, but they called him the twin. But the church has often thought of Thomas as this stiff skeptic whose doubt almost derailed him. But what I want to present to you today is the possibility that his doubt, his reservation, was actually an instrument of God to help instruct and strengthen us today. And I want to consider three powerful truths that I think come from this story and passage. Okay, the first message or the first lesson I think we should learn today from this passage is that what this passage or story tells us is that when Jesus came, Jesus brought with him a message worth believing. This is what Jesus came to do. He came primarily to create, build, promote, produce a message worth believing. Why would I say that from Thomas's story? Well, some of you in reading this story might have been thinking about the privilege that Thomas had. You might have even thought to yourself, that's not really fair. Of all the people in human history, how many have said, you know, I would believe if I could see it with my own two eyes, but Jesus listened to Thomas's desire. He fulfilled Thomas's wish. But when Jesus arrived, he even indicated that future generations would not have the same luxury that Thomas received. Look at the final verse that we read, verse 29. Jesus said, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You might not feel that that's much of a blessing. You might feel that Thomas was the one that was blessed because he got to see it with his own eyes. He could have touched Jesus with his own hands. But what I want you to recognize today is how important it was for Thomas, of all people, to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. And here's why. Thomas could not have been an apostle unless he'd seen Jesus in his resurrected state. Later in the book of Acts, when the disciples got together to try to replace Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus and was now dead, they said, we need to pick a replacement apostle. And here's the qualifications. They said, they have to have seen Jesus in his earthly ministry, and they need to have seen Jesus in his resurrected state. Even Paul the apostle, who became an apostle many years after the church had already begun, he had an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and considered that an important ingredient to his being an apostle in the first place. And in the meeting that occurred the week earlier, the one that Thomas missed, 
If you go back and read what happened there, Jesus commissioned all the other 10. He gave them spiritual authority and power. In other words, he transformed them from being just disciples into being apostles one week earlier. But Thomas had not been there. Thomas was not commissioned. This man called to be an apostle, could not be one until he'd seen Jesus risen from the grave. Now hang with me here for a second, but ask yourself the question, why? Why was it so important for any potential apostle or messenger of Christ in that role or position to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, here's where the first point that I'm trying to make that Jesus brought a message worth believing comes home. If all Jesus wanted the apostles to do was to go throughout the world and tell people about this marvelous man with marvelous teachings, who did marvelous things, who we should all follow and emulate, Thomas already had everything that he needed. He could have gone to the whole world and said, I live, for Je- I live with Jesus for three years. I watched him feed the hungry. I watched him heal the sick. I watched his heart of compassion, and I listened to his teaching. It was beautiful, powerful, and wonderful, and we should emulate him today. Thomas could have done all that without having seen Jesus risen from the dead, but if he had done that, he would have been preaching an incomplete message. You see, Jesus did not come in order to merely be our example or to produce for us ethics that we should all follow. No, Jesus came to produce a message. And the message is this, that mankind is so far from God because of our sin that separated us from him, our imperfection, which separated us from him. But because God is discontent in that separation and so loves his world, he does what he could, what he has to, and sends his only begotten son to die in our place, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to create a message And to produce that or proclaim that message, Thomas needed to see Jesus risen from the grave. And I think the reason why this is so important for us to grasp today is because we live in a time where most everyone appreciates elements of Jesus. You know, it's really hard to bag on Jesus. You know, the way he treated the poor, the way he treated the downcast the upside-down ethic that he often taught, his golden rule to treat others as you would have them treat you, do to them as you'd have them do unto you. These are admirable things about our Lord. And many people wonder, why can't we just talk about the teachings of Jesus and the morals of Jesus without getting into the cross of Jesus? But here's the thing. I think that if Jesus had come as merely a teacher, he was one of the most dangerous and terrible teachers to ever exist. Because what Jesus did was set the bar so impossibly high that no follower in all of history would be able to adhere to the full totality of his teachings. But Jesus came 
to do more than teach. He came to fulfill the perfect standard for us and die on the cross and rise from the grave. And for that, Thomas needed to see Jesus risen from the grave. So our first lesson today is that Jesus brought a message worth believing, amen? But our second lesson that I want to hold out today is that Jesus, because of this, is a God or the God worth following. The way the story lays out, it actually says that it took place eight days after Jesus appeared in a locked upper room to the 10 disciples and made them into apostles. Um, The way that they counted, however, for us in our way of saying it, if we met on a Sunday and said eight days later, we're talking about a following Monday. Uh, But in their way of counting days, uh, one day uh, counted as, the, the day you were in counted as the first day. So to say eight days later meant the following Sunday. So they get together the next Sunday. Everything's really the same. They lock the doors. They're still f- afraid of the religious leaders and what they might do to them. They just crucified Jesus after all. And there they are in this room. And the only real difference is that Thomas is now there. You know, I think Thomas is probably thinking to himself, well, Jesus showed up at your first Sunday gathering. Um, let's see if he showed up at the second su- Sunday gathering. I need to see this for myself. And so Thomas is there. And Jesus appears, it tells us. He comes in. He says, peace to you. And then he turns directly to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here in my hands. Put your finger here in my side. And Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I think that this appearance, along with these words, I think it was all too much for Thomas. The clear idea that Thomas would have received when Jesus appeared in a room that was locked and said these precise words the impression that Thomas would have come away with is Jesus, he witnesses and knows everything. He heard my words last week that I spoke in the secrecy to these other disciples. Uh, Thomas didn't think to himself, hey, which one of you guys went and told Jesus that I said this last week? Like, hey, Jesus, you'll never believe what Thomas said. He said, unless he could put your, his finger in your hand and in your side, he won't believe. No, Thomas got the impression Jesus knows all. Jesus sees all. And Jesus witnessed my doubt throughout this full last week. And not only had Jesus heard it all, but Jesus was patient with Thomas as Thomas doubted. Notice that in this story, Jesus doesn't show up to eviscerate Thomas. There might be a little bit of correction at the very end when he tells Thomas about the blessing of those who believe, who have not yet seen. But for the most part, Jesus is sympathetic to this man. It's like he appears and he says, Thomas, you wanted to see and touch my wounds? Well, here they are. See me, touch me, hold my hands, touch my side, I'm here I'm answering your deepest doubt and question. I love this because Jesus, as so many of us know today, he is so patient with us, isn't he? Many of us can think back even just this last year, 
from this Easter to last Easter and realize, oh, Jesus was patient with me in so many ways. So many times I failed him, he never failed me. And that's the thing, Jesus here appears and he's not shocked by Thomas's doubts. He had a front row seat to everything that Thomas said and thought, and he has a front row seat to all of our doubts as well. He knows our little arguments that we make against him, our little complaints that we usher against God. He knows our real reasons for refusing to trust him. He knows all the dumb things or the evil things or the wicked thoughts that we've ever had. And still, he's there like he was for Thomas, offering himself to us. He condescended for Thomas and he continues to condescend for us today. And all of this was too much for Thomas. I think the indication is that Thomas had been thinking all week about what they'd told him. The, the way that the phrasing is used there when it says that the others said to him, we've seen him risen, it, it indicates that they continued to say that to him. They continued to pepper him with this information. Thomas, you still don't believe? We saw him yesterday. You still don't believe? We saw him two days ago. You still don't believe? We've seen him with our own eyes. And I think this skeptical man was thinking through what it would mean if Jesus really had risen from the grave like they were reporting. You see, Jesus' death, it would have crushed Thomas. Thomas did not know what we know. Thomas was looking forward to a figure who would come, a descendant of David, who would bring Israel back into political power and prominence, reestablish David's kingdom and make it even more glorious than David's kingdom. When Jesus died on that cross, his hopes, his desires, his dreams for Jesus were dashed. And I think during that long week, Thomas began to question, if Jesus is really alive, then why did he die in the first place? If Jesus has the power to be resurrected, then why didn't he use that power to avoid death in the first place? And I think as Thomas thought, he began to recount many of the things that he'd heard Jesus say in the past. Perhaps he went back to what Jesus said in John chapter eight, when they asked him who he was and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Borrowing the very title that God gave for himself in the book of Exodus. Perhaps he thought of what Jesus said in John chapter five when he announced, I and the Father God have been working until now. A statement that everyone there that day thought meant that Jesus was equal to and God himself. Perhaps he thought of what Jesus did on that day when a paralyzed man was lowered from a roof in Capernaum. And rather than immediately healing the man, Jesus looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven you, something that only God can do. Perhaps Thomas thought of all the times that Jesus expressed miraculous power over water, calming the storm in Galilee, walking on the water of Galilee, and went back into the Old Testament and remembered that whenever a water miracle occurred, God was involved. 
Or perhaps he remembered what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed when he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I think Thomas added it all up and came to a conclusion. I think he concluded, if Jesus has risen, then it's because he is who he said he is, he is God. And if that is true, then I will make him the Lord of my life. So right there, with Jesus' offer to touch his hands and side, hanging in the air, Thomas makes the greatest confession ever made about Jesus. He exclaims, my Lord and my God. You see, when Thomas said that, he was not making a mere factual statement. He didn't say when he saw Jesus, oh, wow, it's true, you did rise from the grave. He's saying that, but so much more than that. He's working out, has worked out the implications for what it would mean if Jesus had risen. It's like he's saying, Jesus, you rose, therefore you are God. And you rose, therefore your cross worked. And if your cross worked, then I can be saved. And if I can be saved, then that means God can be my God and you are my God. And because you saved me, you are worthy. And so now you must be my Lord, my master in life. And I will do whatever you say. That's what's behind his statement, my Lord and my God. And make no mistake, this is exactly, precisely, completely, totally what the Holy Spirit wants every single person here to say today. Part of the reason I know this is because John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, he chose this as his last and final story for a reason. Now, you might be sitting there saying to yourself, now, Nate, I I hate to break it to you, but this is John 20 we're talking about. There's a John 21. There's all this stuff that happens later. That's the real end of the book. How can you say this is the final story? Well, let me read to you what John wrote right after Thomas's episode. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's almost like you want to add to the end of that, and they all lived happily ever after the end. The reason it sounds like the end of the book of John is because in John's mind, it is the end of the book of John. Oh, everything that came after in chapter 21 is inspired of the Holy Spirit, but it's prologue, it's preparatory for what's gonna happen in the church age. But the confession that John has been fastidiously writing and recording specific episodes about Jesus's life for is right here. That we with Thomas would say, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is my Lord, and he is my God. It is the confession that the Spirit desires for every single one of us to make today. But let me close with one last point for all of you today. If Jesus brought 
the message worth believing, and if Jesus is the God worth following, I want to lastly say that in his resurrection, he submitted evidence worth trusting. Some of you might have even been wondering when I first read this story if it was okay for Thomas to make this demand. You might have been wondering that because in other places, Jesus did bemoan people's tendency to want to see the miraculous as a proof for who he was. One day there was a man who came searching for a healing and Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. One time the religious leaders came to Jesus and asked for a sign. and Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. So when Thomas comes in and says, I need a sign that he rose from the dead. I need evidence that he rose from the dead. You might think that this was an improper thing for Thomas to do. But listen to what Jesus continued to say. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, all of us know Jonah. We know about Jonah. Jonah was that prophet who disobeyed God, and because he disobeyed God, he was thrown into the Mediterranean Sea where he should have died, but a big fish swallowed him up, and he lived there for three days and then was vomited onto dry land. This man who should have died three days later appeared alive. And Jesus is saying that something more miraculous than Jonah would happen to him. He said, just as Jonah was three days and nights in the fish, so I will be three days and nights in the grave. So even though many of us have skewered Thomas for his doubt, what I want to say today is at least he believed, according to Jesus, the right sign. He believed in the miracle of the resurrection, the one that Jesus said would be the sign that he would offer to prove he was who he said he was. Now, I realize that today we are not in the advantageous position that Thomas was in. We cannot demand that Jesus appear, so we cannot see him in his resurrected state. But here's what we can see. We can see in history early believers who saw Jesus and then suffered brutally for confessing that he had risen. All they had to do to alleviate their suffering was recant, but that generation never did. People don't ever do that for something that they know is a hoax, something they know is a lie. Some people are willing to be martyred for something they think is true that is in actuality a lie, but no one is willing to be martyred for something they know is a hoax. And these apostles and early believers, they were in the position to know whether preaching the resurrection was a hoax or not. Yet all of them suffered misfortune, disrespect, physical torture, and death for that message. And all they had to do to alleviate their pain was to recant, to say, it's not true. And this apostolic testimony is still here with us today. Jesus alluded to it when he said, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. That describes many of us here today, amen? We've not seen, yet we've believed in Jesus, 
And what does Jesus say we are? He says, we are blessed. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9. He said, though you've not seen Jesus, you love Jesus. Though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Jesus calls all of us to believe in him, his cross, and his resurrection today. Look at what Jesus said to Thomas. He said in verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. The way this is actually written in the Greek language, it means you're on a path of disbelief. Get off the path of disbelief and get onto the pathway of belief. I think that Jesus saw an insidious thing happening in Thomas's heart. The working out of unbelief as it began to course through his mind and spirit and soul. And Jesus says, you need to depart from that path and return to the path of belief. Now, we know, of course, that doubt about Jesus and his cross and his resurrection, these are things that are a reality. They will always exist. Many of you are likely doubting yourself today, just thinking it through. How can this possibly be? Now, sometimes doubt is a mere rite of passage. You're a young person, perhaps. You grow up with Christian parents and go to church and learn all the stories, and you're raised in Christ, and then you go off to college, you're becoming an adult, and it's time for you to begin really thinking, do I truly believe this message? Sometimes doubt is connected to moral, cho moral choices. I think this happens more often than people are willing to admit. Uh, this happens when someone decides not to believe in Jesus basically because they know that Jesus would forbid them from doing something that they would like to do. But sometimes doubt is, like it was for Thomas, rooted in a lack of understanding. There was just something Thomas did not know, something he had not yet seen or witnessed, an unanswered question that needed Thomas's investigation. And for that investigation, I think we have the credible and well-tested apostolic testimony telling us that Jesus rose. And we should shake off the habit of unbelief and surrender to Jesus. So my invitation to every one of us today, wherever you're at with Jesus, is to leave the path of unbelief and get on the path of belief. Perhaps you've known Jesus for many years. Perhaps this is your 40th Easter, knowing Christ. But as you look at your life with honesty, ask yourself, are there things in my life that I don't trust Jesus with anymore, that I used to trust him? I used to be allegiant to him. I used to depend on him, but now I'm self-depending. I'm leaning on my own strength. Perhaps you used to be someone who prayed deeply for a move of God in your family or church or city, but those prayers have dried up. You still know the Lord. The Lord is looking at you and saying, stop 
unbelief and get on the path again of belief. Perhaps you've known Jesus in the past. You've walked with him, you've believed his gospel. Maybe even you've never even stopped believing in him, but you've wandered from him. You've done the prodigal thing. You've drifted in your relationship with God. And Jesus is looking at you today and he's inviting you right back into his home afresh. He's saying, I want you off that trend or path of unbelief and onto the path of belief. Again, he's trying to call you home. And perhaps you've never known Jesus. And I want you to know today that he's inviting you into his family. He wants you to know the goodness and glory and beauty and wonder of God himself. He died on the cross in your place instead of you and rose from the grave in your place so that if you believe that he did that for you to take all your punishment and wickedness or evil or uh, guilt or shame into his body for you, that you might be then saved and come into the family of God. And some of you, you're in a place where you're merely considering Jesus. You're not ready yet to come into his family, not yet ready to believe in him completely, but I'd want you to know today that he still is inviting you, inviting you to, like Thomas did, come back, to appear the next Sunday, and just to consider, think about Jesus. What I want you to know as the pastor of this church is that you are always welcome to investigate Jesus here in this church. Without pressure, you can just hear and think and listen to and observe not just God's word, but God's people. Do I believe this? Is this the answer for my life? But the Lord, he's inviting all of us today to depart from the path of unbelief and to believe. There's a story in the Old Testament that I love so much it's a story of Elijah the prophet. Elijah was the minority in the extreme. There were around 500 false prophets and priests who worshiped other gods, and then there was Elijah by himself. He challenged all of these other priests and prophets to a contest. He said, hey, let's get together. We'll offer sacrifices to our respective gods. And whatever God pours out fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, that is the true and real God. They all got together. The 450 prophets of Baal were dancing and singing and trying so hard, but nothing happened. And Elijah, he then went to the altar of God, poured water over it, in fact, as if to up the ante, the stakes a little bit, over and over again, barrels of water, until finally at the time of prayer, he called out to God, simply, quietly, humbly, and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones of the altar, and the water in the trench around it. And fear broke out in the camp, and everyone there that day, you know what they said? They all said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
But what I want you to know today is that when Thomas saw Jesus, he said something better than that. He said, my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus wants you to possess him just as he wants to possess you. He wants to have you so that you can have him. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.